0: Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina, and we're going to have a lot of fun today. I'm here with Jarrett Gorin, who is a expert on all things planning, land use, housing in Santa Barbara. Jarrett, we're going to break Ed St. George's record here for most views for one of my podcasts, because we're just going to shoot it and be honest and tell it like it is, which I can always count on you to do.
1: How's your Saturday going, Jarrett? It's going great. It's beautiful. You managed to get me down to my office early, so I got some work done.
0: All
1: right. So you and I, uh, we haven't
0: talked much lately. We talk whenever there's sort of a project or anything going on. But this week, oh my goodness, I, I have not been this stunned and surprised in a long time at a city council meeting. But the city, in its infinite wisdom, decided to make it more difficult for people to operate vacation rentals by legalizing them and trying to make them available pretty much throughout the city, residential, except for high fire zones, and saying, hey, everybody can do it, but we're going to make it much harder for people to actually have one of these. And it blew up in the staff's face. Nobody liked it, not even the vacation rental advocates, the, the housing authority was saying don't do this, the vacation rental people were saying don't do this. It was a big cluster, fill in the blank. Jared. what do you, th- what do you th- what's going on? What do you think? Well, of- it was,
1: uh, it was crazy to see something unite the community like that. In one of my very first jobs, when I worked for the government, a supervisor, um, we left this one kind of really difficult planning commission meeting. And my supervisor said to me, well, um, if nobody at all is happy with you, then you did your job <laughs> the right way. So I guess, I guess staff did their job the right <laughs> way on this one. Um, I was pretty shocked to see it coming out like you 've probably heard me in the press or just through others talking for years about look city of santa barbara like just just be honest about short term rentals just just come up with an ordinance to regulate them rather than trying to monkey around with saying we 're leaving the ordinance unchanged, but we 're saying it means something else than it does, et cetera, and I was blown away when I saw the headline that this thing was coming in front of city council, mostly because I had no notice at all that this was going on. And that feeling was shared among a whole lot of other people, Um, you know, obviously I know people in the industry that were doing these or trying to do these, and I'm familiar with the opponents of it. And like, none of us knew this thing was coming. They did like zero outreach at all. They, They know I'm an interested party on short-term rentals because well, I mean, among other things, I've been an expert witness when we sued them over it. So, I mean, they know what paying attention to this thing. Um, but yeah, I, I learned about it from your article, right?
0: Well, Hey, that's, that's why I do what I do. I'm glad I had some impact on that day. I was looking at the staff report thinking, are you kidding me? Why, why is this coming up? I have to do a story ahead of the meeting. They did like zero outreach. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, but yeah, that was a disaster.
1: Yeah, the whole idea of it. I mean, I've I read through their whole staff report, and they didn't really bring an ordinance itself forward. This was more like give us a framework to go start doing an ordinance, mm-hmm. and the whole gist of it seemed to be like let's let's try to like, okay, so so the way they've been doing it for years now since they started to really crack down on these in 2016 is they said, well, if you rent your house for for one day short of 30 days, you've converted it to a hotel. Okay, so it's now a hotel. It's now a commercial use. We're now gonna subject you to all the regulations that apply to commercial uses. And that made it virtually impossible to ever actually approve one of these things. And so anybody that tried to come in and do it basically get denied for one reason or another either because they would say it was a development plan and they would use this sound community planning finding to say, well, there's a housing crisis, so it's not sound community planning to convert a long-term residential unit to a short-term rental. So they would kill you with that one. And if you were under the threshold, which was a thousand square feet, that you didn't require that finding, they'd kill you with other things. Like they'd say, well, now that it's commercial, you can't back out of your driveway onto a street anymore. You have to have um, head out parking, which of course you can't physically do on most of these sites. They would kill it that way. And I just got to the point where people call me, oh yeah, hey, we want to buy this property and use it as an Airbnb. And I would just tell them, just forget it like you can't do it the city's gonna stop you no matter what but yet they'll still let you submit an application and I always just said like just you know why don't you just be clear with people and just say like your, your policy is you don't allow these and and let's just not waste anybody's time with it anymore or come up with rules that people can understand and that you can actually comply with and get through and they just would never do one or the other thing and so it was a stunner when i saw this thing come forward mm-hmm. and yeah everybody hated it the the vacation rental people hated it the the people who hate vacation rentals hated it um i think those two groups probably still hate each other but they all could you you know they unified hatred for the city over that one and
0: Jared, what what is the tell me what the logic is uh what clicks in city staff's mind to say let's more strongly regulate it let's make it legal in most residential areas when they can't even collect tot tax in the units that are vacation rentals at least in, uh, in most of them like what is the law lo- is there any path or logic here did they did they start off on the right path and well i think wire
1: Yeah, I think that that's really what they're after here. Like a big push that I gather from this thing is, you know, how can we get revenues from these people um, that are doing this and not paying their revenues? And of course, one way to do that is like, actually let people get some sort of a permit for it. And then, you know, as a condition of that, they've got to start paying their revenues. And then you've got like an enforcement mechanism because they have a permit and they have to comply with it. So I think they were probably sitting there saying, everybody's doing this anyway, right? You know, we have this little tiny amount of people that actually pay these taxes, and then we've got all these other people who we made it illegal. So basically, we've just made their option to be, well, let's go completely illegal, right? I mean, if they won't let us do it, and we've decided we're still going to do it, then let's just go totally illegal. And why would we pay our taxes on it either? So I think they were looking at, the city's got revenue shortfalls, and Before they cracked down on these things, the short term rentals that were paying TOTs, they were contributing a lot of money. I think if I remember correctly, like when they totally cracked down in in early 2016, I think they saw an immediate drop in their TOTs, like by something like $3 million or something. I, I, you know, my my memory isn't 100% perfect on this, but it was a lot. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, there's this sort of marginal decrease. It was noticeable. And, you know, maybe they figured out that if you cut off a huge amount of units that would generate these taxes, that you're not going to get the money anymore. And maybe they were after that. Um, that's the only thing I can really figure out on this. I can't think of any motivation other than uh, – I. T- money for why city staff would say oh yeah let's just make it easier or even create a path for people to have these because they have just been 100 against them as long as i like, knew what they were or why they were a planning issue so back to 2015 2016 there hasn't been a single person at the city that supported this use so that's that's my speculation on it they, they want to get revenues
0: So let me ask you about the fundamental thing here. The the people who operate vacation rentals feel very strongly that it's not their responsibility to solve Santa Barbara or any other community's affordable housing crisis. And that's what's at the heart of this is that the, the members of the city council, even city staff had said, hey, these are units that could be rented to people in the community at a time when we have this shortage. Can you talk, Jarrett, about that fundamental sort of principle here? I mean, should we be regulating what people can do with extra space in their homes because of the affordable housing crisis? What's your take on that?
1: You know, it's interesting. There's a lot of different profiles of people that rent their properties as short-term rentals. Um, There are some people that that's their primary home, but like they like to go on a long vacation every summer, which is also our peak tourist season. And so they want to rent their house out for those four months as a short term rental, which I see that as a community benefit because we have the opportunity to get transient occupancy tax off them um, for that four months. And it's making use of the real estate and the structure and bringing somebody to Santa Barbara, who's going to spend money and, come back here and spend money again and tell their friends to come here and spend money. I think that's all great. Um, There's other people who uh, they have a second home here and they're here for part of the year. And the other part of the year, it's, it's vacant or they could rent it as a short-term rental. And that's not their primary residence, but it's, again, it's a resource that's sitting here anyway And it's not as though that is available to a long-term renter if it's not used as a short-term rental for a chunk of the year, even if that's just somebody's second home. And, you know, people are going to buy second homes in Santa Barbara. It's a great place to have one. We got tons of people here. I know certain council members are like, well, you know, we should start going after ways to sort of um, let's penalize people for buying second homes here because that takes homes out of the market. And I think that's sort of the idea that that anybody would think that that's an appropriate way for the government to step in and start regulating property, I just, that's absurd to me. Uh, and I hope the city would never go down that route. But, you know, the, the city of Santa Barbara rarely meets a opportunity to regulate that it doesn't embrace. So who knows what will happen with that. Then there are these people that they don't live in the house and they never intend to and they're never going to use it. And they buy it purely to use as short term rentals. And, you know, maybe there's some argument that that's taking homes out of the housing stock. And and that's a different type of a use. And it's one thing if it's a home that's in like the RMH zone or, or down in the, um, the coastal zones that it's already would have been allowed to be a hotel like, like that's one thing because that was a possible land use for that property anyway. But I think it's a lot different if you're talking about like some tract on the Mesa, that's a single family residential zoning, you know, for somebody to take what was always intended to be a house and what's for zoned to be used as a house and take that out of the housing stock when you never are using it as a house for yourself at all in any scenarios. So, um, I'll probably uh, get some hate calls about saying that on uh, Monday, but as a planner, um, that's sort of that's that's my take on it. So there's big chunks of these that are appropriate to use as short- term rentals some of the time and other ones that um, may actually be having that impact that uh, the anti short term rental people have you know, taken up as their, their best argument against these.
0: Yeah. So let, let's, uh, let's move on. I mean, I think we kind of both agree that and not just us, like everybody agreed that that proposal was DOA in front of the council and they sent it to the planning commission for them to work on the, the framework. So we'll see what, what comes of it, but you know, it, it, it's, looking at a larger issue, it's part of a larger issue, which is housing and housing development and where we're going to build housing. We know that the AUD program since 2013 has led to uh, several hundred new units. There's more units that are in the pipeline. There was that whole debate about, well, there's still market rate. So how is that helping? And uh, then they passed the inclusionary. And of course, more supply means more choices and People can move up and that leaves stuff that's available and people figure out a way to criticize everything, but the program is constantly being refined. We're seeing projects. We're seeing these, uh, you know, you've got your hand in some of them, Milpa street. There's projects near downtown housing. How is Santa Barbara doing Jarrett in terms of its housing uh, challenges? Are, Are we doing good at, Development and review and approval? Are we still micromanaging everything? Uh what's your if you're explaining Santa Barbara's housing issue to somebody who lives in, you know, Europe or something, like what would you say? What kind of job are we doing?
1: Well, I mean, the first thing I would say explaining Santa Barbara's housing issues to somebody not from Santa Barbara is um this is a community that overwhelmingly hates housing. (laughs) The majority of the people who live here really don't care about whether we have housing at all, and they've got their housing, and they're not interested in anybody else's ability to live here, and they haven't looked ahead to the fact that their own kids won't be able to live here because of their views and their almost universal opposition to every new housing project. And so that's really the root of the issue, Josh, in, in Santa Barbara is that the community doesn't really want housing if we're being honest with ourselves um, and at the same time they'll 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 argue all day about you know why it's so important that we build housing and that it all be affordable and everything so but the it that's sort of like the the nice shady way that housing opponents can oppose housing right it's like oh no housing's really important so i oppose this project because it's not affordable enough see <laughs> not, so so they shouldn't approve this project because it's not affordable enough but that you know the end goal of that is oh well then there isn't a project and that's the goal mm-hmm. and that's really the community and the community elects its leaders and then the leaders you know they they do what their uh electorate wants and i would actually credit the city council the majority of them of being serious, or you know at least trying to put forward some some good policies that on the face of it, they would be incentives to housing, despite the fact that most of their constituents probably don't like new projects at all. Um, so you know they've done some things. I thought like the uh, the elimination of a parking requirement in the downtown area. I thought that was a really bold step that they took. Parking is one of the biggest site constraints when you're trying to design one of these projects. And I think that's really forward thinking. And of course, there's, you know, a ton of opponents to it, uh, including the city's own design review boards, Mm -hmm. who that's where the city's really got to work. These projects still have to go through design review at historic landmarks and architectural border review. And these boards haven't gotten the memo about this. Um, I've recently been through with a, a project over on Santa Barbara street where we've got, I think it's 19 units. It's a affordable density bonus project. And the first time the project went there, the ABR was saying, well, we've got concerns about the lack of parking. Yeah. Well, number one, they shouldn't be talking about parking at all. Cause it's outside their purview. But number two, it's, it's wacky that the city council would say, we're giving you this as an incentive you don't have to have parking. And then our ABR is concerned about the lack of parking. And that delayed that project for months to have to go back and, you know, respond to a ABR comments. And, you know, when I went back with it, I went back with the same project and I just said, look, you know, yeah. Okay. They're like, how did you respond to our comments? And I'm like, well, you know, your comment about parking, um, we didn't respond to it at all because, city council this is their this is the city council's policy this is how they're hoping to get this stuff and you know we're gonna go and we're gonna do what the city council suggested and like this idea of no parking i told him like i'm like we didn't come up with this the city council came up with this and and we're gonna go ahead and do what the city council wants and recently talking with the city council member um we were talking about this and i just said look like if these guys can't get with the program and understand that this is the city's, this is the city's strategy. I'm just gonna appeal every project to city council and city <laughs> council to be our decision maker because they're the ones that will stand up for their own policies um, because they're not enforcing or uh, encouraging even or, or monitoring what their design boards are doing. And, you know, they appoint these people. And people say. that get appointed should be, uh, they should be on board with the city's program, I think.
0: Yeah, and I have to say I watched you uh, I think it was ABR um for I uh, it's what 701 Milpa Street whatever oh, uh-huh. and this is something you do really well. Um I don't know how many people are aware of it but you've sort of earned your your credibility for being in the community for so long. People know you, they respect you, they don't always agree with you but they give you the freedom to talk, right? And they don't cut you off and I love it when you do this. Cuz you do it often when you get in front of the ABR or the HLC, you're like, look, we're here. We have a development agreement and we're not here to talk about all that other stuff. We're here to take your suggestions on these specific things. And we're not gonna do, we're not gonna redesign the project. And you did it really well at that recent meeting. You set the framework and they all acknowledged it. They all said, well, like they got scolded. They said, well, we can't really talk about that. So yeah, we we like the project.
1: (laughs) Well, and, you know, to their credit, they stayed focused. They stayed within sort of what the scope of the hearing should be about. And I feel like they gave us some good comments at that hearing. And there are things that, you know, we're going to incorporate most likely in the project because they stayed focused on the aesthetics and fine tuning those. And uh, that's what we should have done. And and that's what happened. So uh, that was encouraging uh, to go through that hearing.
0: So, there's two housing projects I wrote about recently. There's Bob Ludwig's project over on Milpa Street, which is like three different parcels. It's really massive, uh, right next to the Rusties there. And I'm pretty sure I forget what board it was, but it they hated it. They're like, it's, yeah, it's too big. Barbara, get yeah. out of here, come back with something else. And then there's the one on Chapala where the Volkswagen dealership. Mm-hmm which they loved they thought this is a great project do you have any thoughts on any of those projects and and, and sort of which which one works why it doesn't work uh, uh we're seeing both want to build housing but one on nopus was pan the other one on chapala was wow this is exactly what we want to do in like an urban design area and it's right near the wildcat and it's walkable and everything so what do you, what do you think of that sort of those two projects and that different advice and direction they gave
1: well where i would first of all it's two different boards so um architectural border review is what was looking at it on milpus and we had historic landmarks um looking at the one on chapala and yeah. you know his, historically the historical landmarks commission is sort of known as as the more uh arduous board to get through with the more rigid standards Uh but then in some ways their standards are far more defined because we have like el pueblo viejo design district and it's got standards so you've got like a tighter box that you're working in but like you know what the box is and everybody sort of stays within that whereas when you're outside of el pueblo viejo like it's it's the wild west right i mean we we you can do all sorts of things when you're not restricted to those guidelines i think a big difference between those projects is where they are located so the one on volkswagen okay it's a four-story building it's across the street from macy's (laughs) there's macy's right behind me out those windows occupying 50 percent or more of my two huge windows both of them Mm. Um, that's the biggest most massive building i think in all of downtown santa barbara and this is across the street from it the volkswagen one and there's other you know larger buildings in downtown santa barbara so i think on the compatibility issue the hlc probably had an easier time um determining the project was compatible than a project of equal height and mass located on milpus where you really don't have tons of large structures yet um but just with the existing surroundings. So I think that had a huge impact on it. And I'll leave it at that. I don't wanna go in so much to like the architectural quality of everything. I think the uh, the Milpas project isn't developed as far along as the uh, Chapala project is. I think that Chapala project, that was maybe their second time back and they had already had the benefit of one round of review with hlc and an opportunity to address comments on there and incorporate them and on Milpas, that was like their first time there so that's another big difference and then something to think about on these projects is you know the the one on chapala it's got tons of details and things on the outside of it and what people have to bear in mind is those cost a lot of money to do and you don't get paid back for it. Like your renters aren't going to pay you a higher rent because you've got um, prettier tile on the outside of the building or really awesome real wood details on the building. We want to have attractive buildings, but sometimes with some of these projects, I, I feel like people are so focused on just getting the entitlement, the, the permission from the city to say, yeah, we'll let you build that, mm-hmm. that forget that they're going to have to pay for building it. That's some <laughs> point. <laughs> and you'll see projects get approved that just don't get built because of that. And and my feeling as a developer for years and as somebody who represents developers now is these things should be more than like your kid's art project. Like, like if we don't build them, then there's no point. And so if you have to get something that is so far detailed and has so much expense that's going to have to go into constructing it in order to get an approval for it, that you can't afford to finance it, then what did we accomplish? So that's something to to pay attention to.
0: It's a very minute uh, number of people who are walking along and are looking at a building and saying what poetry it has. That's not a real thing that real people do. I know that architects do and respect to them. That's their career, but that's not something that, you know, ninety. You know, one out of a hundred people maybe might be like, "I really like yeah. the way that's designed," and I guess that's Santa Barbara, and we want to maintain that. But at the same time, people don't look at that stuff. I mean, it's well,
1: my, my feeling about it is this: is our our housing situation in Santa Barbara for real? And in terms of us complying with what the state says we have to do. It's a crisis like the outboard engine on a 747 being on fire and losing parts off the aircraft. That's the situation we're in. And our design review boards and the community, who at least is engaged in this stuff, is involved with trying to figure out, well, let's not do anything about it till we can be sure we're going to get the paint color right when we repair (laughs) the engine. And there's, there's people, are like, you are going to die. We are going to crash. We have these outside factors bearing down on us. The state is ultimately going to take away our local ability to uh even have design review on projects like this. And there's people like, well, you'd love that, wouldn't you, Jarrett? You wouldn't have those regulations. And I'm like, no, I would not love that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have responsible clients. I have people that hire good architects and we want to do good design. But if that happened, it would open it up to everybody, people that haven't been in this community. They have no stake here. They don't care. And they'd be able to come in here and get away with anything. And I don't think that that's a good place for us to end up.
0: Yeah, no, no, very well said. Um, exactly, you know, right on. I want to ask you about the Funk Zone. There's that. I think it's 155 units. That project on it's multiple blocks. There, um, I forget the developer's name. You probably know. It's been to a couple of boards that I've written about, but it's huge. It's massive. There are tenants that are complaining there, saying. We're gonna get pushed out. Our views are gonna be blocked. It's gonna cut off the block. What do you think of of the funk zone? And is that a, a good spot for that many many
1: units? Well, uh, the funk zone is interesting. There, there's a pretty limited area in the funk zone where you can do housing at all. And so, cause it's, it's zoned ocean related commercial down there, which is a really weird zoning on its own. But um, within that you are allowed to do housing between Helena Street, Garden Street, the freeway and the railroad tracks. And so this this is within that limited area there where you could have some housing down there. Um, I always like it where you can add housing into the mix of uses in an area. I think it keeps places vibrant. I think having residents 24 seven in an area makes everything safer. Um, opportunistic criminals or, you know, people that want to spend their time on the street, they don't feel as comfortable in places where there are actual residents there. And when there's residents around, you know, smaller things get reported and taken care of faster. And and so I always think that's a good idea and that would apply to uh, the downtown area too. Um, so we don't have that many places. We can do housing in that area. That's one of the places. So I do think that's a good place to have some housing. Um, in terms of the the massiveness of the project and everything else, you know, I, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask. It doesn't bother me. Um, I, I sure. think I don't see anything inherently wrong with big buildings. If they are, aren't just big, ugly, flat-sided buildings, if they have architectural interest and pick up elements from around the community, which I think this one kind of does. Um, I think they're okay. And again, it goes back to the, uh, the, the disintegrating engine thing, you know, we are in a crisis. They don't call it a housing crisis for fun. It's, 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 we have to do something. And so we don't have the luxury to say, Oh, but you know, is it, is it too tall? Is it, is it too big for that area, et cetera? It's like, we need the housing. Like let's get the housing because we really need it. and, You know, things are gonna happen. Santa Barbara today looks a whole lot different than it did 50 years ago, right? And everybody loves how Santa Barbara is today. And Santa Barbara today is the end result of all of these projects that came along all over all of these years that every single person hated and each one of them individually was gonna destroy the character of Santa Barbara, yet here we are. So it could be fine someday.
0: You know, there's somebody watching who's saying if it wasn't for Pearl Chase, we'd have, uh, you know, towers at um, Ellis Keck Park Memorial Gardens and we'd have, you know, huge sky rises everywhere. <laughs> um, you, know, how do you how do you respond to those people who say that, you know, we've got to defend what we have. What we have is special and everybody wants to be like it. But if we just allow housing and tall and big, Will cease to be the special place that everybody wants to live. I mean, you've heard that. You've heard that of, over of and over. You know what do you what do you say to those people who say, you know, if it wasn't for us preservationists, we wouldn't be such a special community.
1: Well, I would say that uh, the community's changed over all these years. I would say, despite the preservationists, <laughs> and it's it's still quite charming. People still love it. People still love to come here. I think it's funny to say, well, if we don't deny everything or try to deny everything, then then what will happen is, you know, ultra high rise buildings, et cetera. I mean, the joke to me is that people consider a four story building a high rise. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's like your typical apartment building height anywhere else in the world. Um, you know, that that everybody gets, you know, completely completely. Uh, It's it's the earth's gonna stop spinning on its axis because there's a a 45 foot tall building. I mean, people from outside of here think that's hilarious. Yeah. Because there's plenty of cities, even cities that are smaller than Santa Barbara that have downtown cores, like in Europe. You know, there's lots of really charming places in Europe where the downtown has tons of four-story buildings with commercial on the ground floor and residences above, which are arguably less urban than Santa Barbara is today and, and it can be done well and nicely and you know it'd be a lot easier to do it if people had more of a vision and less opposition and one thing that always that i i, I whine about to my friends is why can't why can't Santa Barbara like look to the future and say look like we have to change what do we want to do, what do we want to become and change into and evolve into versus 100% of the focus is how do we stay the way we were? And that's just not a, that's not a way to live in the world, at least that's my opinion.
0: Well, yeah, why not? Why would you move forward and, you know, plan for the future based off of real data when you can form a committee of a whole bunch of people, including somebody who helped build the city 30 years ago, and decide you're gonna take five years before you figure out what's gonna happen with with State Street. I mean, I know that Dave Davis and those types will say, Josh, you're being really ignorant. We need to plan. This is the biggest thing ever. Um, we It takes time and investment and we're not gonna do anything overnight, but um, it's not that complicated. I mean, somebody needs to give them a reality check. It is not that complicated. We can't wait that long. Maybe you Maybe you feel differently, but I mean, Let's move to State Street. Let's look at the promenade. What is going on? Why are we waiting so long with all these studies? How many studies do we have to do? Well, keep telling us the same thing. Somebody needs to actually do something.
1: One thing Santa Barbara is sort of their MO is that whenever there's a problem to solve, they have to start from scratch and come up with the solution themselves. Because, you know, clearly nobody in the world could, do it better than we can locally, right? Yeah. Uh, most of these huge problems we have are, are problems that other cities have had all over the United States in the world. And, and they've come up with solutions that worked really well. And, you know, there, there's there's playbooks everywhere that we could just go plagiarize and and steal from, or at least go look at and see like, how did this city do it? You know, I go to national planning conferences every year And they have them in different cities across the country and people from all over the country come to them and you get some perspective on what other communities have done. And, you know, it shouldn't be a shocker that, you know, other communities have been faced with what do we do when we convert a downtown street into pedestrians (laughs) or like one of the one of the issues that came up was, oh, well, oh, if we have all this housing downtown, it's going to it's going to impact the bars, And things like oh what will we ever do about that how will we solve that well like you know vancouver had that problem and what vancouver did is they said okay you want to develop residential down here that's great we want the residential um but this is an entertainment district it's noisy and you're gonna put a notice to property owner on all of your leases or deeds that says that we are not going to respond to noise complaints here you are moving into this area. This is the established use. And so you better like it that way because you're not going to move in and now expect these other uses to have to trim back because now you live there and like, bingo, there's a solution. How hard is that? I just explained it in 30 seconds, but I promise you, we're going to hire a consultant for $50,000 to, to figure out the same thing. Right. Hopefully they, they can just, you know, watch this i i don't know i mean but that's, that's what worked there they had this problem that we're worried about having and they solved it and it worked and you could apply that to to any number of other places and you know santa barbara like we have this idea that we have to get it perfect before we even start on something we have to have everything figured out and uh, I, you, I, you just can't go through life that way. And you can't go through evolving a community that way. And I really like that in the face of the pandemic where we had a crisis where like it, it actually got bad enough that the city had to do something without planning everything out in advance. Right. And so they did something. And and now like, cause people have been talking about that for 10 plus years before and they finally just, they just did it. It wasn't perfect, but they actually just did it. Yeah. And people like it some people don't i mean it's santa barbara there's always going to be somebody opposed to whatever you do mm-hmm. but most people like it and now it's our chance to um refine it mm-hmm. and get it better okay it was raining really hard we got the roof up to get ourselves out of the rain you know now we've got some time to decorate the roof and figure out what kind of roof we want And that's where we're at here. And I I would hope that we can keep sort of incrementally evolving it as we go along rather than having to, you know, wait five years before we do anything. And I think the city is kind of maybe going that direction.
0: Yeah. What do you think of Randy Rouse's contention that, Hey, we can't be planning the promenade and state street for restaurants only. And the restaurants are keep complaining that this is Randy talking that, that, oh you're making it harder for us to have our outdoor dining and more restrictions more rules people like the promenade um restaurants are good for downtown but you got randy over here saying yeah if you're not on the 500 block though things are not good for you downtown retail is suffering and we need a mix of businesses is is that just randy or is there any truth there to the fact that we're Maybe concentrating a little too much energy on a couple blocks and forgetting about some other blocks. I
1: I I agree with Randy. I, you know, as a planner, you you can't just take one use and design something like a downtown retail epicenter around just one use. Yeah. Um, restaurants are great; they're a great thing to have down here. Experiential retail like that is one of the few things that isn't threatened as hard by you know the amazons of the world because i just can't order a delightful outdoor dining experience from amazon it doesn't work you have to go to a restaurant so we should have those but we shouldn't be planning around just one use every every place on state street can't be a restaurant and if it was it would be sort of a, a dead area at certain hours of the night we, we do need to have mixes of uses down there and we should be considering we should be doing some more research on what types of uses are supportable going forward and having zoning and standards that support those uses we have to look at the physical configurations of the buildings we have because you know we can say oh yeah these uses are great but the problem is that you know certain use we really want just isn't going to work in a 30 foot wide by 200 foot long retail space which may be physically what we have we should be thinking ahead of um, some sorts of regulations that allow for the easy um, aggregation of spaces like that to be able to be put into larger spaces that could have dimensions that work for the types of uses we're looking for. And another thing that, I hear people complain about e-bikes, I guess, that's the Santa Barbara version of thinking ahead to multimodal transportation, would be complaining about e bikes. But I, we've got State Street here. It still needs to serve a purpose for uh, multi modes of, of transportation. We have obviously tons of pedestrians. We've got a lot of bikes. Um, we have to have emergency access for fire, and the same area that can serve for the fire can serve for, uh, deliveries and things, um, outside of the peak hours. And we need to give some really hard thought about how we're going to divide up that corridor to serve all of these uses. So they don't conflict with each other because right now, um, the bikes and the pedestrians, uh, definitely conflict with each other. And, and I'm both, I'm a pedestrian there, but I, I commute to work on bike on my e-bike probably three days a week now. So I experience it from both sides and, uh, that's something we got to really figure out for that to become a safe and enjoyable place for everyone that's going to be using it.
0: Yeah, definitely it's it's kind of dangerous out there if you're walking and somebody's coming along on one of those bikes and if you got kids or you're you know you have your elderly or something um you shouldn't be afraid to be down there. Because it's uh,
1: dangerous when you're on a bike and you've got oblivious people walking around yeah, yeah. looking at their phones and they walk in front of you. I mean, that's, we got a serious situation that to sort out here.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Like people need to pay attention. If you're like this and you're like,
1: Oh, what a rude biker. It's like,
0: well, pay attention, you know, <laughs> like protect yourself. And then maybe For sure. you know, help. Um, I wanted to ask you about, um, um, Oh, that's what, sorry. I lost my train of thought. But speaking of, Experiential retail or experiential stuff. Have you been to the axe throwing club, uh, the axe throwing place downtown? Four hundred.
1: I, I haven't been to that one, but I have been to an axe throwing place uh, in Las Vegas, and it's a blast. And uh, thanks for reminding me of that. I need to go down there and do that.
0: I was just thinking, like, what a what an incredible business. Because what it what it what do you have to pay for? Like, you have to replace your wooden boards. I guess you have to keep your axes sharp, but you have space and people are literally paying you 40 bucks an hour or whatever it is, you know, to throw the ax over and over and over. What an incredible, I mean, is that not like a moneymaker if if we can actually get people
1: to to do it? It's cool. I just, I I wonder what they pay for insurance. Uh, They probably have a hefty insurance bill, but it's worth it um yeah it's pretty cool it's i just that's a cool example of a really easy set i don't think they had to spend tons of money on tenant improvements to get that up and running and you know it's a cool experience and people that come down to do that then they're going to go out and eat downtown most likely and uh you know it's great and it's great to see somebody come in and do something simple in a space that was existing and and was vacant
0: Yeah, I did it. It took me about 30 throws before I got it to stick. And I finally got a bull. The first one was the bullseye, the first one that stuck. Uh, So it's a lot of fun. And uh, I was doing a story. So he just let me, he had sign a waiver. And I got a little concerned. Those are like sharp blades. You better make sure you keep control of those. But thankfully, he's not serving alcohol. So we don't want any ax throwing and alcohol, which you (laughs) can't do in other communities. Yeah. Uh, couple more minutes, just Paseo Nuevo Mall. We know about, uh, I don't know if that Aloha Fund Center is ever going to open up. I, th- I think it's close. I think it's going to happen. I think maybe they thought they could just open their doors and took a lot more permitting with the city to do what they're doing. Uh, we know about Paseo defaulting. Uh, it's back to the bank. I guess the bank's going to sell it and somebody's going to get a great deal. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Paseo Nuevo and what's what's to come? Can it continue to exist as as retail or do we need to start over with that thing i, I think we should
1: uh we should demolish macy's okay just scrape it <laughs> um i mean it's it's the the challenges you'd have to go through to convert that actual building into viable housing are they're, they're beyond monumental the costs, i just don't see how you could ever make that work out and um you know, my pie-in-the-sky dream is that they they bulldoze that thing to the ground and build, like, two structures that are also four and five stories tall but with smaller footprints, put housing in those, put maybe a little retail on the ground, have the existing retail areas in Paseo Nuevo incorporated so that they open up onto, like, a park between those two structures, have the park available for people downtown, like, another cool pocket park, um, and that would be amazing i, I would love it if uh, somebody wants to do that and i could work on it with them that would be a very cool project um i'll tell you one thing that concerns me is uh you know on the housing element if you look at these uh the suitable sites analysis in the housing element um, the biggest green dots are Lacumbra plaza mm-hmm. and Lacumbra plaza is the low hanging fruit in terms of where it's easiest to build housing and if that's where our focus becomes, I think we could kiss goodbye, uh, the vision of having a lot of housing downtown. It's just gonna be way easier, fewer constraints for people to do it up at Lacumbra. And that's gonna become sort of the housing equivalent of how the malls used to you know, kill the downtowns. That housing will kill the housing in our downtown. And I, I think we need to look really carefully at that. Um, so uh, I hope it would happen here in the Paseo Nuevo area, um, ahead of happening out there, and yeah. there's there's nothing to say that it can't happen out there, but maybe maybe the city could um, look into some sort of a timing element that makes that available as a housing site after a certain percent of housing gets uh, built out in the downtown. Um, I don't know, but I, I see that as a looming uh, potential. Uh, issue that could really negatively affect what the council has been looking for all this time. So it can
0: create sort of a dead downtown because all that energy and housing is going to be in a different spot and developers are not going to want to build downtown where it's more expensive if they can do it. The Coomber Plaza area?
1: It's just so much easier to do it there than it would be to do um, downtown. Just we have smaller lots, we have more constraints, we have historical constraints nearby that you got to be compatible with um it's harder for us to provide neighborhood services downtown um so you know wa- water always finds the lowest spot right and if you make that the lowest spot that's, that's where it's all going to go first and it's going to leave downtown high and dry yeah
0: would you ever go to lacuma plaza
1: or um shopping or whatever o- occasionally i'll go out there to go to lure sometimes or i'll go to uh, bristol farms sometimes oh. Oh, yeah. um
0: a deli of bristol farms that's really yeah cool.
1: but i i don't really I, I almost never go out there and you know frankly <laughs> i get depressed when i go out there it's just it's depressing
0: Uh huh. yeah um it's the the sears building is uh it's like a mattress store an antique store i like the macy's there i like to go do my Christmas shopping on Christmas Eve there. No, um, I, li- I like it there. It's 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 pretty cool. And we do eat at Lower Islands because I got a couple of kids. Uh, but it's interesting. Hey, last thing, this city council, Jarrett, you've seen so many. You've seen uh, many incarnations. You've seen good years, lean years, council members that are good, not so good. Uh, most of the time they're in the middle. Uh, how do you think this council is, is gelling now with Randy Rouse as mayor? Is it, you know, without you know, going deep on Kathy and criticizing her. But is this a better time uh, with Randy as mayor than before?
1: Or is it just different? I guess I I would say I see a little bit more consensus mm-hmm. on things now. And there's still dissenters on things. But, and I don't think, you know, I'm one of those people who's like, you don't have to have u- unanimous decisions all the time. If that's what we're striving for, that like, we're never going to hit it. Um, but I'm seeing more consensus. I think it's, it's great to see, um, people like Eric Friedman, you know, mature into really effective council members. Now that he's been on for a while, even Alejandra, you know, they've got more time on the council and, and, you know, you you just get better with time on the council. And so we're definitely seeing that.
0: Yeah. Uh, Randy's a little more talkative on some issues as we've seen and, you know Kathy very much would you kind of could predict everything she would say. You knew exactly what she was going to say, and she would fall on sort of those party lines. And Randy, you kind of kind of know where he's coming from, but every now and then he just, just like off he on restaurants, you know.
1: He Randy <laughs> he, Randy says what he thinks. Yeah. And 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 he says it in sort of a really succinct way. I I love what he said about the the downtown. Like you know, we're just gonna paint everything brown. <laughs> that, that was awesome. Um, yeah, I like that. I, I think he's a practical person. You know, Randy, in my experience, is he's one of those people where he's like, okay, this isn't a hundred percent of the way I would want it, but you know, this is the fair thing to do or the practical thing to do, and so you know i'm going to support it and that's an attitude that i think the community benefits from and and i think if the whole community were to adopt that attitude uh, we could make some real progress on some things i i might not love the fact that they're building you know a 25 unit housing project a block and a half away from me but you know we need housing really bad and, and I want my kids to be able to live here or I want my kids' coach to be able to live here and, and you know that's the kind of thing that's gonna make that possible. So, you know, I will I'll live with the minor personal sacrifice for the good of the community. Like I'm I'm willing to live with an extra twelve second delay at a stoplight if it means we can have a vibrant economy. Yeah. um that that 's a trade i 'm willing to make, and unfortunately there 's just a huge subset of our community that is they 're not willing to make that and you know we we need to get there um uh, and I think we will eventually yeah
0: well well Jared, I really appreciate your time uh you 're uh so smart on these issues and you uh have a lot of credibility because you 've been doing it for so long, and you know you 've uh, really been somebody who has a lot of respect around city hall and uh 630 garden street and even when you're pushing hard on something they listen to you and uh, i like your candor and your frank talk so thanks a lot for taking time here to chat about these issues yeah thanks so much for having me yeah